Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6 as we look again at the model prayer uh, that we've been looking at here in this passage of Scripture. And uh, as the Lord is teaching here on uh, this Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, as he accounts this, this message uh, to the people there, the congregation, the, the multitude that's gathered there with him, and he teaches them here how to pray. Luke chapter 11 again, the disciples actually ask the question or, or ask of him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives them this model there as well. There's a few little differences in translation that we have from what chapter uh, 6 here in Matthew tells us, but it's basically the same prayer that he gives them there in chapter 11. Here he, it's part of his sermon as he is preaching this sermon to the people. He declares to them this is how they are to pray. And we've looked at each section or each, each phrase thus far of the prayer. And he says, after this manner, verse 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And tonight... We're going to be looking at verse number 13, or at least the first part of it, where he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us not, or lead us not, rather, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In all these points that the Lord gives us here in this prayer, and how we are to, these are, these are the things that are to be about our prayers. When we come before his throne, these are those things that we need to incorporate. Again, not these specific words necessarily, but what he's teaching us in these words. That's what is to be found in our prayer. Our place before our Father. We are to pray to him because we have that relationship with him in Christ Jesus we are given open door to come in before his throne to bring our prayers and our petitions and our praise and our worship before him. We, are, we have that place because of who he is, because we are his children. He is our father. And so we have that, that place. So we, we acknowledge, first off, in our prayer, our place, our allowance to come before him because of what Christ Jesus has done for us in our stead, and which are in heaven, that's, that's, we are coming before his throne in glory, uh, even when we bow down wherever we may be, wherever we may find ourselves, whether it's by our bedside, whether it's at our supper table, whether it's we're driving down the road, wherever we may be, wherever it is that we bow our heads, wherever it may be that we get on our knees, wherever it may be that we cry out, Father, we are brought directly into his presence in before his throne room, to bring our prayers and our petitions before him. He, he opens that way for us readily that we can come in before him. And that's an astounding, wondrous privilege that we have in Christ Jesus. The next part he says that we are to pray or be a part of our prayer is we are to worship him. Hallowed be thy name. We are to make him holy. We are to make big about the, the attributes and the character of our God. 
We are, to, we, are to have, we are to have a high view of our God in His person and in His character. Because that's who He is. That's how He's revealed Himself to us. And we should glorify Him in the reality of who He is. We praise Him because of His person. We praise Him because of His character. We praise Him because of His attributes. And so that's part of our worship. So even in prayer... It's not just our list of petitions, but in prayer we are worshiping the Lord. We are coming before Him and we are bringing our praise and we are bringing our adoration and we are glorifying Him because of His holiness. Hallowed be Thy name. The next phrase is, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We understand that's, that's again a, a continued part of our worship and praise of Him, that we are acknowledging He is sovereign, He rules and reigns over all, and we are looking for the coming of His physical kingdom. Thy kingdom come. That His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, it, that it's, it's going to be accomplished just as He has declared. And so this that continues even there in verse 10, a part of that worship of who He is and what He has promised us and what He is going to do. And then begins our petitions. Give us this day our daily bread. Again, as we talked about a couple, uh, last Wednesday I think it was, it's not just our food that He's in reference to there, but it is all of our provision. That all that we have, all the blessings that we enjoy, as James chapter 1 tells verse 17 there, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from our Father. It comes from Him. Every blessing we enjoy from His throne. And so this is a praise of His provision, but it's also an acknowledgement that, that, is, that we, we can't have provision, but that it comes from Him. That He is the one that gives it. He is the one that bestows it upon us. He is the one that blesses us each day with it. Give us this day our daily bread. And then Sunday we looked at verse number 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is an acknowledgement that we are frail sinners, that we will sin, we will fail, we will come short. And that we are striving in, in our life, living for Him, to love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself, that is our, that's our desire to serve Him in His, in His royal law that He has given unto us, to, to love Him with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we're striving to do that part of loving our neighbor, and so we're striving to forgive. We're striving to be forgiving people, a graceful people. But at the same time, we realize our own failures because we're striving to forgive one another trying to be graceful to one another, trying to be tender-hearted and caring toward one another, we realize our own failures in that. We see our own backslidings. We see our own shortcomings. We see our own sins before His throne. And so we began, Father, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins as we strive to forgive one another and those same instances and those same sins and shortcomings. And so it's an acknowledgement that we need His cleansing upon us each and every day, a daily cleansing. And then verse 13 that we'll be looking at this afternoon or this evening is lead us not into temptation. 
but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is full of sin and full of wickedness, and then there is the reality of the consequences of sin on top of that. And because we live in this sin-cursed world, we see all of these things that are going on in the world around us that are direct as are a direct result of the sin, direct result of the fallen nature of this creation that we live in. And we see those disasters and we see those 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 uh, situations arising in countries and political problems and 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 uh, natural problems and pestilences and earthquakes and volcanoes and famines and all of the stuff that goes along with the reality of living in a fallen world. When He comes, Thy kingdom come. When He comes, He's going to change all that. You see, He's going to change it. Now, even during His, king, his thousand year reign, the millennium, in which uh, Revelation 20 tells us about, He's not going to straighten it all up then. There's, there's, there's sin still going to be on the earth at that time. As the scripture declares to us, the wheat and the tares that will grow together, there there still be sin in this world during that millennial reign, but it's not going to be allowed anywhere around him. It's not going to be allowed anywhere in, in reach of his physical presence. It's going to be scattered. They're going to be hiding. It's not going to be put on display like it is in our world now. It's not going to be something that's lauded. It's not going to be something that's praised. It's not going to be something that's lifted up as it is in our world now. It's going to be hiding. And the reason it's going to be hiding is because the king is here. The king is here. And he will not allow it in his presence. But even after the thousand year reign, after the millennium is done, the Bible tells us that there's going to be that great white throne judgment there in chapter 20. And at that time, after that great white throne judgment, all of sin is eradicated. It's gone. It's removed from His kingdom. It's removed from His universe. It's no longer to be found. It will be wiped away. And any remnant of that sin, any remnant of that that the consequences of that sin that would remain even upon this earth at that time are going to be gone. Because even this earth, he says, he's going to melt with fervent heat. He's going to recreate this earth that we live on. He's going to destroy the old heaven and the old earth. It's going to be done away with so that any remnant, any, any taint, any stain of sin that has come because of this fallen world is going to be gone. It's not going to even be seen. It's not going to be remembered, you see. But right now, right now we're living in this fallen world. Right now there's still sin. Right now there's still these problems. There's still these consequences of that sin. John MacArthur wrote, Concerning this, he says, the intellectual world, in particular, assaults our faith. Man is constantly seeking the truth, 
but is unable to find it. His judgments are partial and unfair. His tampering with relative thinking leads to inevitable destruction. Man is propelled by his own self-bias. Logic is ruled by pride. Intellects are ruled by lust. And material gain makes liars out of men. Human opinions are on a continual collision course with each other. He has erected fortresses of ideology that are set against truth and God. Grief and anxiety characterize the emotional world of man. His inability to control destructive attitudes devastates his spirit and his soul is chafed by his conflict with others. Envy stings him, hate embitters him, and greed eats away at him like a canker. His affections are misplaced, his love is trampled, and his confidence is betrayed. Rich people step on the poor, and the poor seek to bring down the rich. Prisons, hospitals, and mental institutions mark the moral and emotional upheaval of man. I mean, this world is filled with sin and the taint of sin, the consequences of sin. And without doubt, the darkest part of our world is man's own spiritual life. He is out of harmony with God, evil, uh, dominates him, and it all comes from the fallen nature itself. He is, the scripture describes it as dead in trespasses and sins. There is seemingly no escape in this world from this for a sincere believer. I mean, even for us, we're still here. We're not part of this world. We don't belong to it, I shouldn't say. We don't belong here. This is not our home, but we're still here. We're still living in it. And so when there's, we, even though we don't belong here, even though this is not our home, we still have to endure the consequences too. It's still in our face as well. And so it's a part of this world that we are living in. And wherever we turn, we are confronted by a culture that hates God. And doesn't want anything to do with him. Wants to remove every vestige of him that it can. And Satan is relentlessly attacking our faith at every hand. <clears throat> and it is why then that we must pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, when we look here at verse 13... Interpretation seems simple enough. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ask God, keep us out of trouble. Or protect us, keep us out of this mess. But I want you to notice the word temptation. That's, that's the word that sticks out. Lead us not into temptation. Really, probably more so the lead 
than temptation. But lead us not into temptation. The word temptation is perasmos. And in the Greek, the, the word perasmos doesn't really have a connotation whether it's good or bad or whether it's good or evil. It's just, it, it has to do with trying, a trial. That's what that word temptation means. However, Jesus gives the connotation for us by saying, deliver us from evil. And so he declares it, that temptation here, is something evil in the sense that it's not just the trying, it's not just the trial uh, that might come our way, but, but rather something that is evil, sin even. But there, this is where the problem comes with this word then, temptation. Lead us not into temptation. God's holiness and goodness will not allow his leading anyone, certainly not one of his own children, into a place or situation where they are induced to commit sin. He's not going to do that. That's against his nature. It's against his character. It's against his person. He's not going to do it. He tells us very plainly that he would not do that. In fact, James chapter 1 and verse number 13, James declares here, James 1 and verse 13, he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. So James is clear there in James chapter 1 verse 13. He's clear God does not do that. He does not tempt us with sin. That's what Satan does. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the tempter. Satan is the one that tries to bring sin into our lives and tries to, tries to uh, seduce us with sin. And so he, that's what he does. God does not do that. But he says, lead us not into temptation. In fact, James goes on to say in verse 2 and verse 3 of the same passage, James 1, Verse 2 and 3, James says, The Lord will not lead us into sin. He, he will not tempt us with sin. But then he says in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Count it all joy, he says, when you fall into diverse Temptations. God does not tempt with sin. He does not tempt. So why ask him not to do what he would never do anyway? What is the Lord talking about there when he says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Again, James says here in, in verse 2 and 3 that we are to rejoice when trials come. And here I think he's talking more about trials and not sin here in verse 2 and 3 the, with the same word, temptations, parasmos. But he says we're, we, are to, we are to rejoice when the trials come and not to seek to avoid them. Is what he's telling. 
That's not what we normally do. <laughs> right? There's a trial comes, a situation arises in our life, a hard time, a trial, a tribulation, a sickness, a distress, whatever it is. It takes us a while, usually, before we get around to saying, thank you, Lord. It takes us a while. Sometimes we don't ever get that. Usually when the trial comes, when the, when the, when the, the situation arises, when the, when the trouble happens in our lives, the first thing we, we start crying out, Lord, get rid of this thing. Lord, take care of this. Take this away. Wipe this out. Remove this, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. And that's what we cry out first. But James says here that we are to rejoice. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And not, not seeking to avoid them. So then why should we pray? Do not lead us into temptation. Chrysostom, the early church father, he stated this concerning verse 13 here. He says that the solution to this issue is that Jesus is not dealing with logic or theology, but with a natural appeal of human weakness as it faces danger. The natural appeal of human weakness as it faces danger. The Lord's telling us how to pray. And He knows us. He knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows we're not going to respond <laughs> as James says we ought to respond. Count it all joy. Rejoice. I'd rather glory, Paul says, in my infirmities there in 2 Corinthians 12. Lord knows that's not how we're going to react. So rather, he says, our prayer, lead us not into temptation. Lord, protect us. Lord, Lord, keep us. That's what Chrysostom says. John Gill, he writes concerning it and says this. He says, we're not here taught to pray against temptations at all or in any sense, for they are sometimes needful and useful. We've seen that already in the Scriptures. But that they may not have the power over us and destroy us. They may not have the power over us. That it not be something that, that that trial not weigh so heavy on us that it brings sin in our life. What was it the Lord told to Peter? When he told him, he said, I'm praying for you because Satan seeks to sift you as wheat. He said, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. For Satan seeks desires to sift you as wheat. And his next phrase was, his next phrase was, when you are converted. When you are converted, help your brothers. So what does he tell Peter right there? I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And it's going to fail, Peter. It's going to fail. 
And when you are restored, when you are restored, that's what that converted is. It's not Peter being saved. Again, Peter's already saved. He's telling when you're restored, when your fellowship is restored, then you go help your brothers because they'll need it too. They'll need your help there too. And when does he do that? Of course, Peter, that very same night, he, what does he do? He denies the Lord three times. His faith failed. His faith failed. And then in John 21, he comes to the Lord there at the seashore. And what does the Lord do? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? One time for each of his denials, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's answer, yea, Lord, you know I love you. And he restores him. He restores him. And so it's our desire that when these, as John Gill puts it, when, when these trials come, when these tribulations arise in our life, that it does not drag us down to the place where we are tempted by sin, where it destroys us as individuals, but rather that even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the, the temptation, in the midst of the, the tribulation that is in our lives, that in that we are holding fast to our Lord. That we're not wallowing about in the problem. We're not wallowing about in the trial. But we're rejoicing in the presence of our Lord even in the midst of that place. That we're holding on to Him while we face that situation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice in Psalm 141... Psalm 141, and verse number 4. Psalm 141 and verse 4. David says, Incline not my heart, to any evil thing. To practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. And let me not eat of their dainties. What was David saying? David said, Lord, protect me. Lord, protect me. Don't let me get in a mess with this world. Don't let me get, get burdened down with the sin of this place. Don't let this, don't let don't let me be dragged away by the fallenness that is all around me. Barnes, he says, this phrase must be used in the sense of permitting. Do not suffer us or permit us to be tempted to sin. We all desire... To avoid danger and trouble that sin creates. So this petition is the expression 
of the redeemed soul that so despises and so fears the sin and, and what sin does to us that it wants to escape all the possibilities, all the prospects of falling into the sin and choosing rather to avoid rather than having to defeat the temptation when it comes. Lead us not. Lord, protect me from temptation. That's what our Lord is teaching us to pray here. We know, according to the word, that trials, as we've already read there in James, or Paul says so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that trials and tribulations are beneficial to us. They're used for, by God for our spiritual growth to mature us, to draw us closer to Him, to sanctify us, to clean us up. He uses them to, to make us stronger in Him. Yet we have no desire to be in a place where the trial might lead us to sin. So while we resist the trials, we realize that they strengthen us. They make us what our Lord would have us to be. Even the Lord prayed, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He yielded himself completely to his Father's will. And so, the prayer is, Lord, I don't trust myself. I don't trust this old sinful flesh. I realize, Lord, there's trials that have to come in my life. I realize, Lord, there's situations that have to rise. Lord, I realize that trouble has to come because we live in this fallen world, and that's just a reality of the world that we live in. And I, I recognize, Father, that these things need to be in my life to make me what you'd have me to be, but I don't trust me. I don't trust this old flesh. I need you to protect me, Lord. I need you to keep me from sin. I need you to keep me from being tempted by sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James, again there in chapter 1, we read in, in verse 13 where he said, God does not tempt man. And he says in verse 14 and 15, Verse 14 and 15, he says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth it's a bad pattern. It's a bad pattern. And so our prayer, Lord, don't even let us get there. Lead us not 
and to temptation. It's an appeal for God in our prayer life each and every day when we go to him and pray, pray each and every day and the many times a day that we bow our heads before him in prayer. It is our, our appeal to him, Lord, guard my eyes, guard my ears, guard my mouth, guard my feet, guard my hands, guard my brain. Lord, keep me from temptation. So that whatever we see, whatever we hear, whatever we say, whatever we do or wherever we go, that we're desiring his protection for us against the sin that is all around us and in us. Now, again, we know trials and temptations come. So how then do we deal with them? Joseph gave us a good example there in Genesis chapter 50. All his life was one great big trial after another. By his own family. Wrongfully accused, put in prison. And the Lord kept bringing him through each of those trials and through those trials continuing to move him exactly where he wanted Joseph to be. So that through all of those trials, through all of that pain, through even prison that Joseph endured, God moved him into second in command of all of Egypt. Why? Because the very ones that sold him into slavery, his brothers, his family, were about to face a famine that was going to kill them all except God not provide. And how does God provide through the very one they sold into slavery? And Joseph says there in chapter 50, his brothers apologize to him. He's revealed himself to them. To them and they're afraid that he's going to kill them. Daddy's dead now. Joseph has no reason to keep it. He's going to, he's going to enact vengeance on us now, and we all deserve it. That was their mindset at that point. And Joseph forgives them, and he says there in verse 20 of chapter 50, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to save much people alive. What they meant to tear him down, what they meant to destroy him, what they meant to, to bring cursing on him, God used all of it for good. That's his promise to us in Romans 8, 28. Same promise. So every struggle, every trial we experience, every struggle, every sickness, every distress that comes in our lives is allowed by God. He's allowed it to come in. And it's for the purpose of making us more and more like our Lord. To make us stronger in Him. That even in our weakness, His strength might shine through. To help us 
mature as his children. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. First Peter 5 and verse 10. Peter says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. The God of all grace, the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And so we're to commit our lives to our Lord. We are to trust him in those situations, in those trials, in those tribulations, that we might stand in his strength. Satan will turn it into a temptation in every opportunity that he gets. He will entice your lust. He will desire to draw you into sin. And he may even be able to do that. And thus our prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First Corinthians 10 and verse 13 Paul says here, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. He says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Sometimes in our trial, or in our tribulation, our, our distress, it feels like it's, I've got it worse than anybody else has ever had it before. But that's not the case. It's not the case. It's, this is common. It's common because it all stems from the same place. It all comes from sin. It all comes from this fallen world. And so because of that, it's, it's, it's common to all men, these things that come our way. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear. So God in his grace, even when temptation comes our way, he strengthens us enough in the situation that we cannot in any way blame him when we fall into sin because he provides a way of escape. Now most of the time when we fall into sin, when we, when we fail in the temptation that is presented to us or brought before us, we fail because we're not looking for a way to get out of it. We're not looking for an escape. 
We're enjoying too much of what's presented to us, you see. But he says there's no temptation that's brought to us that he does not provide for us a way of escape. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us from evil. Job 23, verse number 10. Job says here, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job has the right idea about his trial. He knows it's something that God had allowed in his life. He knew it was something that God was using to make him, to to mold him, to bring him through. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 7. Peter says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. This petition is a reminder that we have not yet arrived. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We, we, we are still in this old sinful flesh. Trials still come our way. Temptations still come our way. Difficulties still come in our lives. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of what our life will be as we strive to live for our Lord and to be faithful to Him. And all the while, he's taking every one of those. He's taking every one of those. There's not one of them that is wasted. Just as we've been studying there in Isaiah 55, verse number 11, his word will not return unto him void, but it will do exactly what he's set for it to do. It will accomplish exactly what he has declared for it to accomplish. Every trial, every tribulation, every distress, every sickness, every sorrow, every pain that comes into our lives, our Lord is using every one of them, and they will shine as gold before him. Shine as gold before him. Peter says again there in verse 7 that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed. Now.